0: I had great plans tonight to speak about something that I thought would be relevant to the commitment that many of you have made to practice every day for a hundred days, but uh, I decided that uh, I'm not in a very um, practical mood tonight, and just thought I would share with you some of my little meanderings In other words, what the things that I was uh, lost in during the sitting. The first thing that came to mind, for some reason, just because I was sitting here with you, inviting you to settle your mind into your body and let go of any strain or tension, let go of any ideas of yourself, ideas of where you need to go or where you've been to rest. I think I used the Tibetan saying, uh, rest your weary mind or rest in natural great peace. And as I settled myself into that natural sense of peace that is so available when we do keep quiet and we don't look ahead and we don't look back, as I settled into that sense of peace for a moment, I could not find anything that I could say, this is me, this is mine. All I could find was this sense of uh, of awareness, of of kind of a pure silence, just a, a pure sense of presence. And... I realize that at my root, before I can remind myself based on memory of my gender, my role, my successes or failures, before any of that happens, I'm really quite indescribable, indefinable, undefinable, indefinable, one or the other. I am, and you are, uh, beyond any description you are, in a sense, as one of my favorite teachers, Neem Karoli Baba, used to say, uh, he said, I am like the wind. And after I had that thought of Neem Karoli Baba, his um, beautiful saying that was Many many years, probably 25 or 30 years ago, put to music, kept floating through my mind, and so I thought tonight that I would chant this for you, this line from Neem Karoli Baba, and perhaps we could chant together, reminding ourselves that we are not limited to our um, our small views of ourselves. And I'll tell you why I I think what some of the springboard was to stepping beyond the small views. Of myself. But first we'll chant the words of Neem Karoli Baba. I'll do it once by myself and maybe you can then join in. It goes like this. I am like the wind. No one can hold me. I belong to everyone. No one can own me. The whole world is my home. All I my family I live in every heart I will never leave thee oh crystal tears oh taking away my fears let's try it I am like the wind no one can hold me I belong to everyone no one can own me The whole world is my home, all are my family. I live in every heart, I will never leave thee. Oh, 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 crystal tears, Oh, oh, taking away my fears. Once more. I am like the wind, no one can hold me. I belong to everyone, no one can own me. The whole world is my home, all are my family. I live in every heart, I will never leave thee. Oh, 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 crystal tears, Oh, 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 taking away my fears. I realized that, as being the wind un invisible, undefinable, indescribable, when I did not call myself this or that, or think about my particular situation or my predicament in life, even anything about myself, I noticed that there was a, an Im- immediate uh, absence of fear. So, an absence of anxiety that anxiety is born when we are born into our what the buddha called sakaya ditti the self idea and i think i was motivated to peruse in my mind about this tonight because since last week i declared to you that i was an in, i was uh, injured uh, my back my back symptoms have gotten worse. I am now wearing a girdle. (laughs) And I'm into flashing. (laughs) Whoever hears this on the internet, I hope they don't get the (laughs) right (laughs) idea. Now I'm blushing. (sighs) And I realize over the course of the week of having... Uh, many very, very unpleasant symptoms uh, yesterday, really, to the the symptoms so acute to or intense to the extent that I could not really walk, and I, I could not lift my back off the bed, and I was crawling. <laughs> Someone told me this evening that when their back hurt, they crawled to the restroom. I did that last night. Today I feel much better and I'm getting treatment but I could see over the course of these days uh, an inevitable concern about my body and I think that's very natural for all of us but I could also see how I was not just experiencing that immediate sense of the symptoms and, the, and just the, simply the intelligent response to experiencing these symptoms but I was beginning to Project uh, meaning and significance about these things, what it would mean about my future, what it means about my past, and I could see myself constructing a new identity as the one who's injured. Can any of you relate to this tendency? And this new identity was, brought, was one that was filled with worry and concern and fear. And of course in the middle of it I would sometimes just feel what was going on and the feeling of what was going on and the fear were very different. What was going on was just what was going on. But my mind would then project or proliferate a a narrative about my experience that would turn it into much more of a, a catastrophe. And so the catastrophe we can really see is of our mind, and uh, often is many steps removed from the, could say the suchness of what's happening, the simplicity of what's happening. That's why our practice continually reminds us to use as our refuge. And I think last week I spoke about refuge in the body, or anchoring in the body, anchoring in the immediate present. But the the Buddha's recommendation that we anchor our attention in the in the six doors of perception and just things as they are in their pure simplicity. What's being seen, just let it be seen. What's heard, let it be heard. What's felt, be felt. Smelled, smelled. Tasted, tasted. Thought, just what's thought. To see the simplicity of life. To not to miss life as just what it is when... Not to miss that because the tendency is so strong to enter into the identity view and then a whole story about myself and about how terrible it is or how terrible it will become. Many of you know that I've experimented a lot with this identity view over the years. This And I've looked at a lot in my own practice over how this view of myself takes off and how easily we can, each of us, can land in some kind, land meaning uh, end up kind of solidified, stuck in a perception of ourselves that seems quite solid and real. But, and not even know that it's simply a state of mind, it's simply a view, simply a story that's gotten imposed on the simplicity of our experience. And the strongest experience I had of this, the most, perhaps the most liberating experience of this, was when I visited a teacher named H.W.L. Punja 20 plus years ago in India, And I was full of, at the time I was full of the, I think I'll tell you two parts to the story because since we're talking about identity view tonight, I'll tell you the two parts of the story. I was very identified when I went to see this teacher with the view of being a a sincere meditator, a sincere seeker. Any of you have that sense of yourself? Well, I thought that this was a pretty reasonable... I didn't even know I had this view so much, but I thought this was a pretty reasonable identity. I was full of the fire of being a a seeker. And I was so full of being a seeker that I didn't that I didn't want anything in my life at this time except to know the the ultimate truth of reality, to see the, my primordial face, to understand my deepest nature. I, and I just had no more interest in anything but this. And I heard of this teacher who was known to... evoke this understanding and anyone who would come uh, near him anyone who would come and hang out with him would begin to experience recognize the very state of mind that he was uh, living in which was uh, which is a state of freedom a state of of a mind that's not nailed down by fixed views and small feelings of inadequacy or inflation or just Empty, open, immaculate, radiant, exp- expressing tremendous joy, tremendous compassion, tremendous love, effortlessly uh, expressing awakening or liberation, and so I, knowing that there was a person like this, I wanted so badly to experience, be in that person's presence. But at the same time, I had a question. Why would I go see this person? Because at the time, I knew in my heart of hearts, at least in my limited view of my heart of hearts, I knew, based on a, both a feeling and a, a very classic line that I'd heard in many different traditions, the, the classic line is, the seeker and the sought are one. Have you all heard this before? That we are what we're seeking. The seeker and the sought are one. So with this sense of, yes, I know that what I'm really looking for is myself. Still, inexplicably, I wanted to go see this teacher, thinking that he could do something for me. So the interesting thing was the moment I arrived to meet him, he asked me why I came. And so full of my seeking and being a seeker, I said to him, I know, Punjaji, Master, that I know that the seeker and the sought are one. But I've come halfway around the world to see you, so I must want something from you. And he looked at me, as he often did, with a kind of bemused, impish grin. It's funny, every time he smiled at me, I knew he just saw right through me. But his words in response, I said, I know that the seeker and the sought are one. But I've come halfway around the world to see you, so I must want something from you. And he looked at me and he said, remove the seeker and remove the sought. And I don't know if that has much meaning to you, but upon hearing those words, I went completely unconscious. I completely lost consciousness. And what helped me emerge from being completely unconscious. What brought me out of it was this all of a sudden I heard from somewhere else. I heard this this guttural laugh that was somebody else's laugh, but it was clearly coming from this from this uh, mind body. And that laugh brought me into consciousness and I don't. I can hardly talk about this because at, at that very moment my mind went uh, everything that I saw it, it turned into how many of you have seen the movie The Matrix? Well I had a matrix moment where the whole world and everything dissolved and all separation dissolved and my mind went completely silent and I realized at that moment that what he meant what that line meant, uh, the seeker and the solder one, the, but what had been keeping me what had created a veil was the identity, the idea of a seeker, and the idea of something being sought. With the absence of those identities, there was simply the immaculate present. I am like the wind, no one can hold me. I belong to everyone. There was no inside, there was no outside. There was no difference between me and anything. In the ultimate truth of each of our beings, not just me, this is what I see in each of you. Even though we manifest and depend on this physical body, this physical presence, this individuality, to know this, at our root, each of us is beyond the seeker and beyond the sought. So that was the kind of exotic, uh, beautiful experience. That's very nice. And for a while there, I, I didn't have, I didn't have uh, much. I could hardly even give rise to a thought of the past or the future. And really, for three or four weeks, I could hardly think. But as this process went on, in fact, the very next, the very next day, well, this was the. my chronology is getting a little screwy at this point, it's now 20 years ago but the same afternoon I realized that I was uh, experiencing the residue of having eaten something very unhealthy some, some kind of bug and I became quite delirious and sick and and very much back into my individuality, back into my uh, identity as a person, and a, and a, not a seeker at that point, but as a person who was sick. And I was just so miserable, delirious, uncomfortable, and he sent me, the teacher sent me to across the river to the little government rest house where I was staying, and he said, you know, go to sleep, go to bed, and uh, come back when you're feeling a little better. And, and meanwhile, I was there for a few days, and fortunately, a friend who I was traveling with also got the same bug, <laughs> so we were both kind of delirious together. And he sent over food to eat which was I've, I? Whenever I remember this story, I always remember that he sent over these big chunks of white cheese. I could never figure out why he sent cheese, but it's the last thing I felt like eating. But but finally, a couple days later, I dragged my. As I've often told the story, it, it, the clearest sense was that I was literally dragging my physical body back. Over, down a couple bridges along the Ganges River and across the river. This was in a uh, town of Hardwar, one of the holy places at the upper parts of the Ganges River. Kind of dragged my body along these, uh, pathway alongside the river, and then across the bridges, and then down the street. And the bad, the good news was that the place where the teacher was staying was just across the river. I could see him waving from his balcony uh, on the river, but the, that was the good news. The bad news was you had to walk down two or three bridges to to get to the place where you could walk across to see him. So finally I made my way. I skipped the best part? Okay. <laughs> see, this is a, what it's called a a broken record, you tell the same stories over and over again. People <laughs> remind me anyway, I, as I was entering the street where Punjaji was staying in this lovely little guest house with the most beautiful hand washed blue walls. they were just the walls of this room. The paint is not so great in these Indian towns, but the blues and the the colors were so rich, and I just remember him his radiance with the background of these tired old blue washed walls but before I got to his house when I entered his street I was I saw a little fruit stand and I bought a big clump of bananas and I was meanwhile I was exhausted and I was just kind of getting myself to his place and to make to add insult to injury as I grabbed the bananas and started to walk toward his place a, a couple of monkeys jumped out of a tree and took the bananas from me and it was the weirdest moment <laughs> actually monkeys are scary when they're wild like that I went to, a, to hear a beautiful sitar concert at the, a place called the monkey temple where there are literally monkeys hanging out in the trees and they were really aggressive. And so that was the, the monkey experience. So I, fi- <laughs> so, so I finally made my way to, into his little place and had to climb a few flights of stairs. This, this story does have a, <laughs> a punchline. <laughs> it's getting back to the identity view. And I walked in to see him and he greeted me very warmly and he asked me how I was feeling. And I said, I'm feeling much better, but I'm still sick. And that seems like a natural thing to say, doesn't it? But he looked at me, again with that little grin on his face, and he said... Where is sick? And I didn't go unconscious, but I had another one of those moments where I couldn't find sick. There were clearly symptoms still there, but I could not find the identity of sick. I had bought into the identity, hook, line, and sinker, and I was so busy being sick that I was literally carrying it like a heavy old corpse over my shoulder on my back and the moment there was a cessation the absence of that identity of sick i couldn't find it there was a burst of vitality a coming alive like i said the symptoms were still there but the the identity was gone there was just what there is. I was back into the realm of reality rather than the realm of identity. So each of us tends to carry these ideas like a, as Ajahn Sumedho says, like a conceptions bag that we regard ourselves as these separate individuals and there is some usefulness to These are our individual designations, and there's such a beauty of each of our individual stories and our personality view. It's wonderful that we can even do that. But what this individual view does is it masks this greater reality that you are. And this is why we try to step out of the stream of our identity view. And live in silence. As I think I shared those few lines from Rumi last week, where he says, Well, maybe I didn't, but I don't remember. Why do, he says, Why do you stay in prison when the door is so wide open? Come out of the tangle of fear thinking or me thinking, live in silence, flow down and down and down in ever widening rings of being. So each of us, whether we know it or not, as part of our natural evolution, is moving, and you would not, you can't help it if you come to meditation practice. We are moving from that heavy, narrow vortex of our our personality view and the ideas and the weight that comes with that and the tension literally the physical tension that comes with that we're moving from that narrow vortex to this wider circle of being wider circle of awareness wider circle of affection wider circle of caring and this is inevitable and so as as much as we can in the course as much as I can in the course of my daily life to live in silence, to step out of the stream of my identity view, to open my eyes to the the world around me, to, to realize that I am like the wind and no one can hold me. I belong to everyone. No one can own me. The whole world is my home and all are my family. I live in every heart. I will never leave any of you uh, uh, crystal tears. That's that... We're all like crystals that we that reflects every facet of life. Every, every, we touch every heart when we are right where we are, just who we are, not the idea of who we are, but our natural expression. Crystal tears. Maybe we'll chant once more, "Crystal Tears," and and we'll talk a little more Q and A or something. You don't have to have it perfect. Just even, just flail away. And <laughs> I am like the wind; no one can hold me. I belong to everyone. No one can own me. The whole world is my home. All are my family. I live in every heart. I will never leave thee. Oh, 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 crystal tears. Oh, 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 taking away my fears. Excuse me. I have to make a little adjustment here. Oh. So the, the stress of our lives, the habits of our lives, make it very easy for us to lose contact, to lose a connection with this deeper reality within ourselves. And even though this may not sound practical may not be a particular kind of methodology, I think it's, a, it's always helpful to remind ourselves, just by virtue of stopping, doing the quickie that I spoke about earlier, to stop, feel our bodies, orient ourselves to the present moment, feel what's in our body, feel what's in our heart, feel what's in our mind. Just be simple for several times in the span of your day. And if you have a hard time remembering to step out of the stream of ideas and stream of personality views, if you have a hard time, then you do need to commit yourself even more uh, seriously to some kind of practice that will bring back a sense of urgency, will bring back a sense of of caring about the quality of your life and the quality of your present moments because that's all we have is this life. It's not a dress rehearsal. This is it. And I like to personally use the wake-up call other than just the sense of relaxed presence, which we can always refer to because it is natural to us, I like to use the wake-up call of the four reminders, the traditional four reminders used in the Tibetan tradition to kind of jolt me out of my uh, stupor, out out of my confusion about what's important, and to, for a few minutes even, to... Ponder, to hover, to hang out with the with the reminder, the first reminder, that um, my life is precious. My life is precious. I value it. I want to make something of it. I don't want it to just, I don't want to fritter it away. I don't what I do what I do with my life is really important. What I do with every moment is important. And and what really helps me remember the preciousness of my life is the second reminder that, in a span of, of, um, in a flash, like a. In fact, I brought with me tonight. The, I knew there would be a good use for it. Brought the Diamond Sutra, the beautiful little passage that puts it all in perspective. Thus shall we think of this fleeting world a star at dawn a bubble in a stream a flash of lightning in a summer cloud a flickering lamp a phantom and a dream this is the second reminder that our life in a flash will be over every person that we've been connected to we will say goodbye to every experience will end every job will end every and we want to be able to reflect on it and say i i loved well i did well i i I really um, so that the preciousness of life and impermanence are go hand in hand, and just a reminder in when we reflect on the preciousness of our life is that we have conditions in our life presently that are actually rare in the world, especially us that we who can meet in this way that can have an interest in being present, have an interest in non-harming, have an interest in awakening, and have the, the, the comfort and the resources to be able to uh, not be in every moment in a state of, of survival, in a, in a constant worry about our survival. And those conditions, and we're, we have relative health, we have sense doors that can hear, you can hear what I have to say or you can you can feel what you can feel, we can feel the connection with each other. We have these conditions that can easily change. just i don 't know how many of you have been contemplating there are so many things going on in the world right now, but contemplating this devastating earthquake in Christchurch, New Zealand, this pristine country they did have a big one last year too, but the but these places that where people go because it's the ideal place, it's Shangri-La, it's the New Age Mecca, you know, the, anything. The, every, San Francisco is such a perfect example how uh, one moment to the next, the earthquake can just... Shake things loose. Our resource base can change. Every, anything can happen at any time. And we have to contemplate that. Not as a kind of morbid preoccupation with how bad things can get. And this does need, always these reflections need to be balanced with a lot of goodwill and loving kindness so that we don't get depressed about them. But reflecting on the preciousness of our life, on impermanence, reflecting on that our actions matter. That our actions, everything that we do, say, and think has a res- brings a result. That, we, that this present life that we have is that, as I often speak about, is this creative field of possibility. And it's a field of possibility that can turn our life into a mess or can turn our life into, into uh, uh, a, a state of presence and a state of joy. And that's, they're simply, they're a moment, they're a split second, a half breath apart. A, a wholesome actor, an unwholesome one. And last, reflecting on the, the um, on our distaste for uh, our tendency to get caught in a, a loop of suffering. To reflect on the defects of getting caught in the endless looking for happiness in all the wrong places. Something's got to got to jolt us out of our routine of continually being caught in a state of craving, and come remind ourselves to come home right here. So the four mind, the four reminders: preciousness of our life, impermanence, the fact that our li- our actions ha- leave results, and to reflect on our um, our unwillingness that life can be just excessively stressful um, if we don't live it wisely and it leads to a loop of suffering and we don't want it. Every day think about this and then you'll find yourself much more like the wind. Present. Undefined. So let's just sit quietly for 30 seconds. First let our hearts be filled with love and kindness. Forgiving ourselves for any harm we've caused ourselves or others, and wishing ourselves well. Knowing that in our hearts we want to be happy. May I be happy and peaceful, safe and protected, healthy and strong. May I have ease in my heart and a sense of well-being. And as I want to be happy, I wish that all beings in all circumstances can be happy and peaceful, feel safe in this world, protect it, be healthy and strong, accept their limitations graciously. And I wish that all beings can live with ease and a sense of well being. And as always, i like us to dedicate any, our practice, any of the fruits of our practice, any of the blessings of our practice, any goodness that has arisen from our practice, to dedicate it to the welfare and benefit of all beings. May all beings be touched by the truth. May all beings realize their true nature, May all beings be liberated. So I ask you one more time, where is sick? So should should I do the Oh, Erica, we have a few short announcements. Thanks for hanging out for another moment
1: before we go. Thank you. Um, In the long and ancient tradition that is the Dharma talk, these talks have always been freely given. Uh, We know the value, as do MasterCard, that they are priceless. But the room, not so much. (laughs) The room costs us $150 a night. So, Dana being Dana, how he generously gives his time and all of his teachings to us, maybe we could give back to the community in Dana in a form of cash. Um, we need to, if we want to keep this group, group going and keep having the lovely talks and having the, the opportunity to do this, we need to keep supporting it. So, we have a basket over here. As I say it costs us a lot in every night. A group of this size it averages out between 6 and $8 per person if we want to do it that way, just to keep the whole thing going. So thank you. Thank you to Howie. We continue. If some help with uh, the chairs would be helpful, putting them back to the original uh, status. And I think that's all for this evening. There aren't any other announcements as far as I know. No? No. Oh. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thanks for your generosity for the room rental and for me. And thanks for your practice mostly. And remember your true nature. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit org slash donate.